On this week's episode of 90 Degrees, how the Shanahan tree has evolved and is dominating the NFL, what it's like to work for an NFL team, and a niche betting market people might be overlooking. That and more on today's episode of 90 Degrees. Welcome to the 90 Degrees podcast, where we take an inside look into the sports betting industry. I'm your host, G-Stack George, and I'm excited because I'm joined by a friend, uh, Arjun Menon. You probably have seen his great work on Twitter, football analyst specializing in analytics. Arjun, thanks for joining me. Yeah, happy to be on, George. I know we've done some podcasts in the past, and I'm glad to finally be a part of uh, the Hammer uh, YouTube channel, which is something I've, I've followed for the last two years. So excited to be on and excited to be talking some ball. I'm so excited to have you on. Like people are definitely familiar with your work and we'll get into why and where it's been featured. But I I wanted to find out for those that don't know, where does your love from football come from? Was it from a young age? Did it develop later on? Yeah, I mean, I think it started young. I, I never, like, I, I'm always upfront about it. Like, I never played. I It was most of my parents that never let me play. Uh, but I always played fantasy football. I always tried to be involved with football somehow. And kind of just the idea of, like, building a roster, having to manage it throughout, you know, an entire season, like, fantasy football-wise, that always intrigued me. And then once I got to college, uh, I was the first year of COVID, so didn't really have a lot of things to do while I was stuck in the dorms, except watch football, analyze football, read about football. So my love from that, uh, my love for football just grew from there. And uh, second semester of my freshman year, I started to learn to code. And from there, everything just took off. And, and now I'm, I'm sitting here talking with you. So it's, it's been a fun little journey, starting with fantasy football, not playing fantasy football now, basically, and really just focusing on the hardcore football, which is uh, a passion of mine. I often talk about people where where their first start with numbers and data comes from and their interest. And oftentimes it like was the back of a baseball card and like you read stats and, you know, you're doing the old school box score and you're pulling out numbers. Where did where did you start to think of football and analytically? Because um, baseball, it's it's obvious once you like baseball, you, you almost are attracted to the numbers, whereas football, there there's uh, it, it's starting to become an analytical sport. It wasn't like that once upon a time. W- was that immediate for you? No, honestly, it wasn't like I still remember, I think back in like 2018, because I, I grew up a Chargers fan. I remember watching that 2018 Chargers with like Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler. And I used to be like, you know, this team, like they should run the ball a lot because they were good at it. And like looking back on it, it's like they were one of the most efficient passing offenses in the league. I was just so I was just so scared every time Philip Rivers dropped back that he was going to throw an interception. Um, so like I never really thought of it from an analytical perspective. But then I think that started to grow again that freshman year where I was in the dorms. And I was just thinking about football in a different way. And I remember like, you know, again, I was watching Anthony Lynn and his fourth down decisions every single week. And it was like the math is saying you should be going for it and he's not. And I really started to just learn about the math behind football, the numbers behind football, some of the advanced stats that everyone likes to you know talk about and use. So it's it's been a progression. And I know like early on in my football watching career, I was not analytically driven and I kind of cringe looking back on that. But, you know, we all start somewhere and it's, it's about where you end up and not where you start. <laughs> Well, a couple of years ago, you get to Pro Football Focus, who kind of was ahead of the curve on football analytics. I remember first discovering it uh, nine or 10 years ago. It was in Devin McCourty's uh, second. It was the first offseason after his rookie year. And I was arguing with a buddy on who the third best cornerback in football was. At the time, it was uh, Namdi Asamoah was seen as number two behind Darrell Revis. And he was telling me it's McCourty because he had like nine or 10 picks as a rookie. And I'm trying to explain to him, it's like, 
he got targeted a lot just because you got interceptions doesn't mean you're a great corner. We've seen it before with Antonio Cromartie or Marcus Peters. I thought Akib Talib was the third best corner at the time. It, it got us down a rabbit hole into learning about like burn rates. And then that's where my first time learning about pro football focus was you get a, a gig with them a, a, a couple years ago. What were, what did you start off doing with them? Yeah, so I was really like doing a lot of content stuff like I was writing for the website every week or so just putting out like a weekly article about things that have been going on in the NFL, helping other people in the content department providing data visualizations. Um, it was really a pretty relaxed role. And I honestly like I, I really enjoyed it. And then uh, summer of 2022, I transitioned from like the content department into the research and development department where Eric Eager was my boss when he was still with PFF. And that was really a summer where I learned a lot, built a lot of models, did a lot of things related to player evaluation, uh, team evaluation, scheme evaluation, and uh, contract stuff. So that was the summer I think that really like, you know, really helped me a lot in terms of my football progression. And um, obviously I have a lot of love for PFF and everything they've uh, done for me to help me on my journey. That's awesome. Well, that's not the only exciting job you had on your resume. You had a an awesome opportunity this summer. Uh, for those that don't know, what was it? Yeah, so I, I interned with the New York Jets uh, as a football analytics intern in their football analytics department of their front office this summer. So uh, started pretty much uh, around June, ended after our third preseason game, uh, had a really great time, learned a lot. Definitely an experience I'm never going to forget and I'm never going to uh, you know, I'll never be shy about talking about because it was something that I've worked towards since my freshman year. And it was something that I really enjoyed uh, being able to take uh, be a part of. I think on some level, all football fans have dreamed of like one day working in the league. I think it, it, wrestling is like that, too. Whether you want to be a wrestler or not or just want to be part of, you know, somewhere in the building, it, it was a goal. So when you when you find out that they want somebody, first of all, how do you apply for the gig? When do you find out that? They're going to take you on and what was your first honest like raw reaction first emotion when you find out you get accepted yeah so the way i got it they publicly posted an internship on twitter uh teamwork online and so i just sent in an application um you know i would i'll be honest like, i'm not someone who really tries to like leverage my network as much for these kind of things i like to take pride in like doing it myself so sent in an application cold application just went through the process um you know did a project for them and then you know they, they obviously sent an offer out after the draft and yeah i'm not gonna lie like it was a pretty great moment when they called me and you know said if i if i wanted to join the summer i also distinctly remember i was in the same position a year ago with another team for an, an intern position um, i'm not going to name who they were but i was rejected for that role and i was a finalist for that role and when i got the call from my boss for the jets I had that I had that in the back of my mind that like, oh, my gosh, am I going to get rejected again? I'm a finalist again. Uh, thankfully, history did not repeat itself, repeat itself. And I was able to uh, land the spot with the uh, in, in the department. So it was definitely a great feeling. Um, definitely, you know, first couple of people I told were my closest friends in the uh, analytics industry. And, you know, everyone was super happy for me. So it's, it's always nice to be able to share those kind of things with with people around you. And I know I told you even before I, I announced on Twitter. So. Uh, it was it, it was definitely a fun a couple months to be uh, in football. Okay, I, I always wonder, and I obviously you're not gonna give away the specifics of what you're working on because teams you know want to guard uh, their IP on what they're working on. But 
two things I wonder. First of all, what was it like first day in the building? And then the second thing is, how big is the department? Because the most we hear about is the one guy in the booth who tells you to mm -hmm. go on fourth and goal. That's everyone's basic uh, understanding of analytics. But there's departments, uh, and they're large in the NFL, and every team uh, uses analytics. How large does a department look like, roughly? Yeah, so, I mean, these are things you, you can actually find in the public. Uh, Seth Walder has his analytics team chart. It's not updated. If you go to, like, the Jets team website, you'll find that there are three people who fall under, like, the analytics umbrella. So yeah. outside of me, there were three other people. Um, and, yeah, first day in the building, I'm not going to lie, I overdressed. I came in in a button-down shirt and jeans. And every single person in the office, this is the middle of June in New Jersey, every single person in the office was in shorts and a shirt. And I'm like, Oh my God, what am I doing? And I was like, I got, I got impressed. I got to like, you know, look nice and everything. And I was just so overdressed. I like by, by the end of the internship, I don't think I wore jeans once to the office. Uh, it was shorts or sweats the entire time. So that was my first, first day in the office overdressed. And then it was just standard, you know, getting integrated within the front office, but yeah, get, being overdressed was definitely something, you know, I, I wasn't expecting to be. That's okay. You dress for the job you want, not the job you have. So I, I don't think you did anything wrong. All right. You post a ton of great stuff. Uh, I follow beat writers. I follow uh, data scientists. I love information. I don't like to cultivate it myself, but I like to see it. And like you post some great charts about like percentage of runs versus two high shells. Uh, one of my favorites is, you know, showing each game's net success rate to measure which teams dominated versus maybe a couple of high variance plays changing the outcomes. I'm not the only one that loves your stuff. Like I've seen Mina Kimes post your stuff, uh, Pat McAfee as well. Uh, first of all, um, how does it feel when that happens, when you see your work at the highest level? And then the second part is how do you, how do you decide what tidbits you want to create? Because you get a blank canvas and you get to decide here's the charts I'm going to put out today. And you post a lot, like you do a lot of volume and it's a lot of really good stuff. Yeah. So to answer the first question, yeah, it definitely feels good when, when you kind of see your work being recognized by like national outlets, it's, it's not necessarily why I post graphs. Like obviously I want to like help to educate people, um, improves people, improve people's knowledge, give them data that they can work with and, and reference. Um, but yeah, it's definitely nice when when you have people like Mina and, and Pat McAfee find your work. Um, and to answer the second question, it's that's a question, I honestly, I get a decent amount. Um, and it comes from just listening to other people. So like I have kind of like a rotating list of podcasts that I listen to. So, um, you know, The Athletic with Robert Mays and Nate Tice. I listen to Stephen Ruiz and Ben Solak. Uh, one of my favorites, uh, Tage, Seth, and, and Sean Syed of, of Sumer Sports, Stats and Scheme, who, you know, I will say Tage upgraded over me from our podcast last year. Uh, but I'll, I'll listen to them talk about scheme, talk about players, and, you know, they get, they'll give me ideas. So, like, um, the one I posted uh, that you just talked about, like the percentage of runs against too high was something, I think I listened to something on The Athletic. They were talking about, like, the Bengals, they only run 11 personnel, so it's not like they're forcing teams to bring that extra safety in the box. They're not forcing teams to play base. And so when you do that, you're facing a lot of too high. And, you know, the Bengals, they run, they run out of 11 a lot, but they're not very successful doing it. They have a below average success rate running against too high shells, which is not really what you want, especially when Joe Burrow has an injured calf. So just like listening to people, uh, seeing what people tweet just gives me ideas. And like, I have, I have like a folder just of 
uh, scripts or like code in R that it's just, it's it's a lot. Like I just will uh, cycle through whichever graphs I feel like making for a certain week. And like you said, yeah, there is a decent amount of volume. I'll try to put out three or four graphs a day throughout the entire week. And, you know, sometimes people will ask me to make a graph and that will also give me another idea. So it, it just a mix of everything. And I do, I do hope that people kind of enjoy seeing the, the variety that I put out. Well, that's the best way to do it. If you're not listening to what people are interested in, then you're, you're only serving your audience of one, which isn't, the goal when when you're doing content creation you uh put out your own app uh i recommend people check it out um it's a great source to find out about each team it's not just like hey we have all the curated epa per play success rate like you know uh ben baldwin site but you have a lot of uh, uh matchup specific stuff uh you know information percentage of run successes um which whole uh teams generate uh, the best results. And it's important for uh, uh, someone like me who likes to think of football in a game of uh, of a matchup, right? Three different teams at equally different level levels of strength play each other, and each game could have a different dynamic based on how you match up well or not well against the other team's strength or weaknesses. So I love seeing your site. How do you, how do you uh, come up with the idea for an app? Did you know you wanted to create one or was it just like someone reached out and said, hey, I think you need to put your stuff out uh, and have your own house where people get to get your information? Yeah, great question. And it's not the second one. Um, I, I've had this idea for a while. So I would say I, uh, starting at the end of last season, um, I you know, the, the best part about football analytics right now is this, the amount of public data that's being available to everyone that's made available. So last year before the 2022 season started, uh, next gen stats integrated their, you know, some of their important charting data, like formations, personnel with the public play by play data that's scraped from ESPN. So you have all this information that's available, but it's tough for people to kind of aggregate all of that. And, you know, I, and last year, I'm, I'm part of like a Chargers podcast, and I was doing like a weekly analytics bit where I, I produced this like very small or not small, but like a decent size report on opposing teams. And I was like, I can make this available for anyone to look at because I know people watched it. I know people would ask me questions about it in those videos. And so I thought of the app and, you know, I was going to make it during the summer, but then the Jets thing happened and, you know, I wanted to focus all my time there. But then, you know, the Jets, Jets thing ended had the time coming back to school you know first couple of weeks of school you're not really doing anything so i was just grinding away at that and yeah the app is is live it's on my twitter at arjun men in 100 and the most disappointing thing george i'll say about that was i spent like three weeks working on that app i sent it to multiple people making sure it loaded because you can like host the app on like a local server which is what yes. i do for the most part but when you publish it right like it has its own server on the net so I like tested it with people. Everyone said it loaded. Everyone could like change teams and seasons. It was working. First day I posted, it just crashes. The free server just sucks. It's not big enough to host all the tables and all the graphs. I still don't, it, I, it's still pretty hit or miss. So I don't really know if people can use it like daily. Like I, it, it's, it scares me sometimes, but I'm also happy I put it out and I'm, I'm still working on upgrading the server. It's just been a process and had mid, fi finally finished my midterms this week. So hopefully I'm going to upgrade that server this, you know, sometime this week, but it was just it was just ultimately a way for me to kind of show what I could do, what I could put together and also to help people uh, go to a site that provides data for things that they might be interested in. Yeah, I have patience, you know, and a couple of refreshes were there. I uh, used to watch if you ever watch uh, 
an illegal stream, which I don't do anymore, but you, you watch an illegal <laughs> stream a UFC fight and you got to click through like three X's that take you to another page. You have a lot of, if you've ever had that kind of patience, you'll be good with the, with the app. No worries at all. Um, I want to talk about current day football. Uh, the, it, it's, I, I like to gush about offensive play callers and how they counterpunch uh, to a, a, a league-wide scheme right now. A lot of people are going into too high shells. Um, I want to talk about some specific teams and what they're doing to evolve um, the offensive side of football. Let's start off with 49ers. I think uh, Kyle Shanahan is probably everybody's favorite play designer, at least if he's not number one, he's two or three. Um, what are they doing different this year that's giving so many teams problems? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. Um, and to me, it, it it just comes because their offense is is so versatile. They have so many great pieces that they can move around and line up in different positions. Like, um, I you know, I, I reference I'm going to reference uh, the Sumer Pod stats and scheme. They talk about personal diversity like every single week, and I think it is important. And I think. So I have I have a kind of like different def definition of personal diversity. Uh, their definition is just like the different percentage of plays they run from each format or each personnel package. So like, you know, San Francisco might be like you know forty percent twenty one personnel, thirty percent eleven, et cetera, et cetera. My definition is um, anytime a player lines up outside of his charted position or outside of his season position. So anytime Christian McCaffrey lines up at receiver, anytime Kyle Juszczyk lines up as an inline tight end, that's a diverse package because they come out in 21 personnel with Juszczyk and uh, and three and two receivers, but he's lining up as a tight end. So they're really, they're playing 12, right? And so that diversity is so big. And I posted this chart a couple of weeks ago or like a week ago, and the, the Niners have increased their personal diversity every single year. And it's great. Like it's, it's almost linear. The only yeah. year where it kind of flattened out was 2020, but that was the year everyone got hurt. Yeah. And you know, after they drafted Ayuk, after they drafted Debo, it's just been the steady incline. And it's just after McCaffrey is there, like, it just increases how hard it is to game plan because right. Like I, I'm like, I work for the jets. Like I work for Michigan football. Like there are things that I know that I, you know, if I had to put together for an, a, a coaching staff, like you have to be able to look at, players and where they line up and what tendencies that teams have out of that and when you are so multiple you shrink the sample size in those mm -hmm. certain looks and it makes it so much harder to go to a coach and say yeah so this play happened three times and they ran it on two of, like they ran the ball on two of them you're not good like having a three play sample size like you just it's just not something you want to like you know talk to coaches about so it makes it so much harder to prepare for and really you're hoping that they either mess up they either get a penalty Brock Purdy just hasn't really, I don't, he doesn't have an interception this year, does he? No, no, he doesn't. Yeah. He's so like, it's, it's just a combination of how diverse they are, their use of motion, their second in motion rate only behind the Dolphins. It just causes so many problems for the defense and it makes it so hard to game plan for them. And honestly, I'm so glad that my Jets and my Chargers are in, uh, in the, in the AFC because like going against them, you know, at least once or twice a year would just be absolute pain. Hey, I want to talk to you about Pinnacle. Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sports book and available to bettors in Ontario. Find out what professional bettors have known for the last 25 years. Everyday competitive odds, your trusted sports book. Bet smart, bet Pinnacle must be 19 plus in Ontario. Please play responsibly. Not available in the U.S. Now back to the show. 
Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, uh, you were the first person that I heard of of like moving a receiver into the backfield and how successful it is. And uh, I thought of a play last week. Um, it was the Bengals and Cardinals game, and they lined up Joe Mixon to the right as a receiver. They brought Jamar Chase into the backfield. Then they motioned him left, like cheat motion. It sucked all the attention, safeties, linebackers. And all he did was he, he literally snapped it, fired a wide receiver screen to Joe Mixon. And, and it was like a successful play. And I thought all that chaos and, and using a running back out wide and a wide receiver, they brought him into the backfield. And I thought about um, you uh, preaching about that. And I'm like, this is, this is what makes – offense is so hard to defend when you when when you don't know uh what they're going to run out of different personnel okay how good is brock purdy I, I made an analogy when talking to sharp clark i said we we like there's this dynamic where we have to judge quarterbacks by two merits how good are they just pure skills wise and then uh, everybody wants to talk about guys in ideal situations and i and then they'll make the what if you flip this quarterback in this situation and i said you know in formula one uh once upon a time mercedes was this unbeatable car for seven years in a row and valtteri botas was the second driver to hamilton now in, in pure skills he wasn't you know one of the five or ten best drivers in formula one but because he was in a mercedes he was a contender like a top three contender every single race that's what brock party feels like he's in this uh ferrari of an offense with all kinds of weapons and a brilliant play designer um do you believe he should be a, a legitimate MVP contender or, or, or is it, or, or are you tired of people like, uh, you know, say, uh, not giving credit to the perfect situation that he's in? How do you, when you evaluate quarterbacks, because I think this is a difficult thing for all of us, do you judge them in a vacuum or do you judge them based on circumstance they're in as well? I, I, I prefer circumstance. Um, and like I said, there, there are a lot of things I look at to try and, parse out like what is what a play caller is doing what the weapons are doing so one of my favorite stats to look at from a play caller perspective is perfectly covered plays or from an offensive perspective is how often are you fo forcing broken coverage on defense it is kind of subjective it's it's based on pff coverage grade so it's based on what a, what the charters define or if they give a positive or neutral grade to, to coverage players but right now the niners have faced broken coverage on about 68 69 percent of their offensive snaps for, you know, for reference, the league average in those situations, wait, it's uh, no 79, sorry, 79% of their offensive snaps. For reference, the league average in terms of forcing broken coverage is about 66%. So he's doing it about 14% more than the league average. He's also, you know, the Niners are also first in terms of perfectly or the least amount of perfectly covered plays. So he's not facing a ton of plays where, you know, the defense is really clamping down. Now, to his credit, he's also the most efficient quarterback when the defense is perfectly covering a play. So I think you have to give him a little bit of credit for that, but it's also a small sample size. And I also don't know if, if it, we're there yet to say that Purdy is the engine of this offense. He hasn't even played. If you look at the games he started, he hasn't even measured up to a full season in, a, in terms of regular season games yet. He's 10-0 in the regular season. Like, that's not a full season to say anything. He's also had the full complement of weapons. Like, I remember when Jimmy started – or Trey Lance was starting the first couple of games. Like he didn't have Kittle to start the year. Like they were missing Ayuk and Debo at, for, for parts of the 2021, 2022 season. Purdy's had the perfect weather. No one's been hurt. Right. And the offensive line stayed relatively healthy. Trent's been healthy. So it's just, I think everything's coming together at once for Purdy and, and Purdy, 
is not only able to hit those throws that Jimmy can make, but he hit, he can hit the throw, the layered throws, the throws, the second read throws. And I think that's the impressive thing about Purdy is he operates the, the offense so efficiently. But then you also have to think about like how much is he doing versus the receivers? The receivers are open. Like they're getting seemed open, but Brandon Ayuk can also get open. And I think it's it's notable that Christian McCaffrey is number one in terms of the offensive player of the year market. And Kyle Shanahan, you know, I think he's top three in terms of coach of the year odds. He should be number one, in my opinion, just because of how good the 49ers offense is and how they've dismantled great defenses like the Cowboys. But you look at that. So you have Purdue's number one in MVP or number one or top three. I top two. Mahomes. Okay. Um, and then you have McCaffrey, who's number one in offensive player of the year. And then you have Shanahan, who's top three in coach of the year. It's like one of these guys probably doesn't deserve to be there. And I think I would say it's Purdy. And it's a tough conversation to have. Like he's it's not his fault that he's operating an efficient offense, but he's also doing things that I think other players could do and even do more at an efficient level. And I like I think there's other players in the league who Kyle Shanahan could even open up the playbook a little bit more for. And I think that's why, you know, maybe people don't give Brock Purdy the credit that you know some of the Purdy fans want him to. Is, is you know what his surroundings are so good, but it's also he's also been in a good game script for his entire career. He's had one he has one fourth quarter comeback against the Raiders when it was the um the game where they sat Derek Carr and Jared Stidham played out of his mind. We don't even know uh we haven't seen him enough in in a situation where they he needs to bring everybody back in a high pressure drive. Um, that being said, um, I want to talk about I guess the comparison. Um. Let's move on to the Dolphins. Uh, what is Miami doing that has them running offense at a historical pace? Is this brilliant play calling meets the best speed roster ever created ever? Yeah, speed kills. It's it's crazy. And I, I think the comparison between the Niners and the Dolphins are actually, I think of it in a different way. I think the Niners of a smash mouth, like this is a physical football team. Debo's a big receiver. Kittle's a big tight end like they're going to run the all over you the dolphins are all finesse that speed we're going to run outside the tackles we're going to beat you that way we're going to beat you with speed none of these guys are big receivers tyreek's 5'8 waddle's 5'11 you know most are a chains 187 pounds but this is an efficient offense and the thing that's not the thing that's been most impressive about miami to me is not it's not honestly their pass game it's their run game like last year they were i would say like a league average run team when you look at you know a rush epa or success rate this year despite having you know one of the most lethal passing attacks they're number one in rushing epa number one in rushing success rate i think they're number one in explosive run rate like they run the ball so efficiently it makes it it puts such a conflict on defenses and i think that it's one of my favorite quotes like it's the bill walsh quote you pass to set up the run like because of how good Miami is throwing the ball because of all the speed they have at receiver not even just tyreek and waddle like barrios and craycraft like they can move also it puts such it puts so much stress on defenders. They have to focus on if they're pressing Tyreek, they can't, it's tough for them to kind of focus on the run while they're also focused on Tyreek. And I think that stress opens up things in the run game. And I, I like look back to last year when they weren't able to run the ball. And once teams started pressing up on them, it became tougher for them to move the ball. But I think this year, because of their ability to run, I think that's opened up a world of possibilities. And I, I think back to this graph I made after the 2021 season, and it was a graph of how often the Chiefs face too high every single week. So pre-snap too high, you have two safeties, they're, you know, middle of the field open. That's like the football term. 
And every single week, the Chiefs saw defenses play too high at a higher percent than that defense's league average. So they changed the way they play defense for the Chiefs. And at the time, I thought it was Mahomes. I thought it was a Mahomes stat. That's what I thought. I looked at that graph, that same graph in 2022, and it changed. It wasn't every week. And it was they were actually closer to the league average in terms of percent of snaps too high faced. And so I changed my mind. It's a Tyreek stat. It's a speed, it's a receiver stat. It's too high, I think. And I, I'm not completely sure, you know, I, I would love to talk to some scheme guys about this, but I think too high is dictated by speed and the Dolphins have that. But the, the crazy thing is, you know, defenses have to respect, they have to honor the run of the Dolphins now. So they can't just sit in too high because they have to add that extra safety, that extra corner in the box to acknowledge this top tier run offense. So the Dolphins just have so much conflict that they place on defenses and it's it's just one of my most it's one of the most fun offenses to watch because of everything I can they can do. I know that was a long answer. I but I had a lot of things that I was thinking about prepping for this and I wanted to be able to get them all out. <laughs> all right. Whose offense blend of scheme and talent do you think is better? I I'm gonna go with the Dolphins. I I, I do. I think I think McDaniel has done a great job of scheming around Tua's strengths his accuracy, his quick release. He's also done a great job of protecting his offensive line. Tua has the lowest time to throw in the NFL, 2.31 seconds, but he also has an 8.2 A dot, which is kind of like above league average. That number's dropped a little bit since the first couple of weeks, um, since, you know, Dolphins aren't throwing the ball down the field as much, but that's fine. Like you don't have a great offensive line. You're more like league average. And now Tron Armstead is out for, you know, a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months or a month or something. So you have to protect this offensive line. How do you do that? RPOs. Get the ball out quick. Get the ball to Tyreek's hands. You see what he can do on a screen pass. You can you see what he can do on a slant pass, right? It's just protecting that offensive line. I think McDaniels has done such a good job of amplifying the offenses, the offensive players' strengths while hiding their weakness. Um, and I think the one game where I, I think the weakness kind of showed up in that Bills game, it was just a bad, just a bad storm. Like the Dolphins. They ran the ball well towards the end, but that's also garbage time. Like, how well do you really put that together? I don't think I made that net success rate graph that week, or I might have. Um, no, I don't think I did. So I, I, I'd have to go back and see what it was. But I think just that game, uh, things were thrown off for the Dolphins. But we saw how they bounced back against the Giants. And um, I, I just I just think McDaniel's done such a good job of scheming around everyone's strengths. Well, I think Shanahan, it's... I think he has his offense and the quarterbacks kind of revolve around that offense. But with, with McDaniel and Tua, he's built the offense to kind of amplify Tua's strengths. And I think that's that's a great quality for any play caller to have. So who's the better genius? Uh, I, <laughs> I don't like I, I I've had this conversation. You can cop out and say both. Like you no, don't I, I won't. I, I think McDaniel is right now more impressive to me. Um, I don't think there's ever been a period where Shanahan's had the the best pass offense and the best pass run offense, or I don't think he's ever had a period where, you know, both are top three. And I think that's what you have with the dolphins right now. Um, and yeah, so I, I would go with, with McDaniel for that. And you add in fourth down play calling, uh, or decision making, which yeah. to be fair, Shanahan has been better this year, been better this year. Something, something changed yeah. in his mind. Well, they, I, I posted this, uh, in their, I think it was a Thursday night game. They have analytics guys in the booth with the headset on. So, you know, things are changing, hopefully in San Francisco for the better. But um, right now, I think just with the longer period of good decision making for McDaniel, I'd go with McDaniel. 
Hey, yeah. the easiest way to improve as a sports better is use multiple sports books and always get the best odds. We recommend using an odds comparison tool like Betstamp. Betstamp compares odds across every sports book for games, futures, and player props. Save time and money by checking Betstamp before you bet. Download the app today. If you're looking to sign up for a new sports book account, please check out the offers available at betstamp.app forward slash circles off or hit the link in the description. If you sign up through this page, it helps support the show. Now back to the episode. Yeah, th- that was always the Shanahan knock. If you had a knock for Shanahan, brilliant play designer, not often the best uh, a decision maker. Uh, and it's funny, all the assistants that got plucked from Shanahan over the years, he hid McDaniel from the world for a long time, which you just knew he was the genius savant that he didn't want the world to know about because he never got press conference time until that last year before it was like, oh, wait a minute, who is this guy? And why is Shanahan kept him around for 12 plus years, right? Um, all right, you put out a great poll. Uh, what's Tua's next contract look like? Let's let's assume that health is not an issue. Um, you put up four options. Does he reset the market? The next option is, do you pay him like a tier one QB? Um, I guess that makes him like, you know, top six paid quarterback at the position. The other option is, do you pay him a Kirk Cousins type contract? And the last one is you don't resign him. I think uh, one of, like, I think the not resign him, whoever voted for that is a maniac. Um, <laughs> no, truly, yeah. truly, truly I, is I, a maniac. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't going to put like a tier be- below Kirk because really that doesn't really exist so i was just like okay this is just gonna be a a troll option i wasn't expecting people to vote for it but i was shocked um i put tier one i don't think he should reset the market but there's no way that he puts up this season and you don't give him the same contract that lamar jackson you can't not in this nfl you can't get away with it this isn't the daniel jones situation do you agree with that is that where you see him landing yeah, that's I, I didn't vote on it. I don't think you can vote on your own, own polls or whatever. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's where where I would place him. Like, I think uh, it's it's going to be tough for the Dolphins to argue against that. I think I, I do wonder what Tua, Tua's agents would come in at because like, remember, Dan, Daniel Jones was asking for like, what, 46, 47. You know, I think Tua's agents will say we've, we've had the best offense in the league with Tua. Like they might come in asking to reset the market. I, I think the injury thing is definitely in play. Like it, it's interesting. Like Kyler got, I think Kyler reset the market when he signed before Deshaun did it. So, and Kyler, like right before that happened, he, I, that, that was the 2021 season where he missed like three or four games. Right. So durability, like it matters. And I think it matters that he hasn't played, he hasn't started a full season yet. So I think for him to get that, he would need to play at least like 15 or 16, or I would say at least 16 games this season, and maybe at the most miss two. But I, I think it'd be hard pressed for the Dolphins not to give him that. And like, yeah, you're not going to like, you can't, it, it'd be tough to take a risk on another quarterback given how well and how efficient the offense is with, with two at the helm. I tell you, the fight's going to be about the guarantee. It's not going to be the, the number because I think Tua's camp will give up some in total number in order to get a little bit of a higher guarantee because he there is that one dynamic with him and let's see how long he maintains okay let's stay with the shanahan disciples i move on to bobby slowick and the houston texans um i watched uh the the game where they didn't have um laramie tunsil or josh jones and they were already down like six offensive linemen 
And everybody thought Pittsburgh's, you know, pass rush is going to eat them alive. And I saw a first drive where they went like 14 plays and they had one pass to a wide receiver. It was all jet sweeps, quarterback draws, runs, screens. And I'm like, Bobby effing Slowick. That was my takeaway from it. What have you seen from the Texans offense that's been intriguing? Because they have a barrage of O-line injuries and yet they're making it work. And Stroud hasn't made a mistake yet. He hasn't thrown a thrown an interception. Yeah, I think that's 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 a big part. Stroud's done a good job of taking care of the ball, um, and it's it's been more impressive considering he's had one of the lowest percentages of clean pockets of any quarterback in the NFL. I think watching his tape, he he has been a little bit skittish. I think when the play breaks down, but that was his biggest issue coming out of college, and I think that's something that typically quarterbacks get better at as their years go on. I think what's been impressive is how good he's been with a clean pocket. I think he's top three in terms of EPA from a clean pocket. Um, I think that's a big trait for a quarterback to have. Just when can you do what you're supposed to do when everything goes right? And that's a, that's a big thing. So I give him props for that. I think with Slowick though, it's kind of been a mixed bag because I think last week I was praising him because he had like the third lowest rate of three and outs. I think they're still pretty high up in terms of, you know, being good at avoiding three and outs, keeping the chains moving, giving your defense a rest and whatever. But I think he runs the ball a little bit too much. Uh, right now he has a negative 4.3% pass rate over expected. Um, he also has a pretty, I posted this today, I'm pulling it up. He has the, uh, where is it? Where is it? He has, yeah, he has the highest rate of run, run, pass drive. So on drives, uh, yeah, on drive, on series of drives where you have first down run, second down run, third down pass, like that puts a lot of strain on, on CJ Stroud to be great on third down, to carry them on third down. And it's not like the, the Texans offense is like anything or their te the Texans run offense is good. They have this third worst uh, EPA per rush. They're dead last in rushing success rate. So you suck at running the ball, but you're running it on first and second downs. And you're kind of relying on CJ Stroud to bail you out on third downs. Like that is not a great strategy for me. But again, like I think he's he's not working with a great hand. Um, having six offense alignment, that's a tough, that's a tough break. And so my biggest thing is like i think when offensive coordinators are losing offensive alignment they try to simplify things they try not to put them in pass protection as often so they run the ball a lot more and i think that's that's something I, i've seen with baltimore also like baltimore is pretty high in terms of run run pass um baltimore's pass rate over expected this year um is where is it where is it it's why can't i find this I'm sorry, George. I okay. It's it's nineteenth, negative two point five. Like with Lamar playing as well as he has been, like I feel like that should be higher. But I think because of losing Linderbaum, Stanley for extended periods of time, you you run the ball more to try to soften the blow for that offensive line, right? And I think that that same thing is happening with Slowick. Um, but I think he's done a good job of kind of like keeping the chains moving. It's just some of those like situational play callings. I think he can get better at. But first time OC, I think he'll get better over time. Yeah, the, even like the red zone struggles, they're bottom five at converting red zone trips and touchdowns. And it, but I see the markings of a, a, a guy who's he's also learning on the job too, and he's doing it with the rookie quarterback. So he he's starting from further back than a lot of other ones. But I just see the returns, and I'm like, oh man, this is just this tree is. I love this football tree, and, and I'm fascinated by it. Um, let's talk about the Chargers. Uh, a lot was made about their offensive coordinator switch. Kellen Moore comes in. Um, Herbert is having a fantastic year. And at the very least, he's slowed down his detractors. Um, 
How has Kellen Moore changed this offense so far? Yeah, I think Kellen Moore is letting Herbert kind of air it out a little bit more. Uh, prior to the Chargers week five by Herbert had the highest percentage of deep throws, so throws where the, the ball traveled 20 yards in the air. Um, so he's he's really opened up the offense a little bit. I think he's kind of diversified some of the looks, the concepts that they've run. Um, he's also, I think, varied his his game plan week over week. If you watched the Vikings game, Herbert threw for like 400 yards, but it was a lot of quick game. It was a lot of RPOs. Hmm. They ran, I think, 13 RPOs. It was like eight screens. They ran a couple RPO screens. It was in a lot of quick game to kind of get rid of, you know, to try to counter the blitz, which Brian Flores, the madman he is, blitzed on 80% of his snaps. But it was so nice to see Kellen Moore, like, be able to adjust his game plan from the week before, which is the Titans game, where they were, they were like, kind of throwing it down the field versus the Vikings game, where they took a little bit of a step back in that department, but it was a lot of a quick game, quick game. And then they finally hit the Vikings with a wide receiver screen, or, yeah, wide receiver screen, where Keenan motioned from the backfield out and it was a double pass for a touchdown so i think just the situational the sequencing of play calling has been great from kellen moore uh they've kind of been able to run the ball a little bit like their league average they ran the ball all over the dolphins week one which that was something that like if the run is working it's fine taking the ball out of justin herbert's hands like you know if you do what works and it was yeah. working that game so just seeing him be able to adjust his game plan before games within games that's always nice and i think there's been a lot less uh frustration from chargers fans compared to what the joe lombardi years were you know we talked about brock purdy and how he's never had a play in a game where they needed him on a drive and like every single chargers game this year was like the dolphins game comes down to the end and if Tua doesn't step up and make that throw on third and ten uh to tyreek hill you know you're talking about a chargers team that has one extra win and the titans game goes to overtime and and if the chargers win that game you know you're talking about a team that has another extra win um I wanted to ask you because where the where the hell did this Keenan Allen resurgence come from? I I I was like he's clearly on the downside of his career and he looks freaking good again. He looks like he's, you know, 26 again, 27 again. Is this a Kellen Moore effect or is this just um a, a, an effect of throwing the ball down the field a little bit more? Yeah, I think it's a mix of both, honestly. I think Kellen Moore has allowed Keenan to play more outside. I think Joel Lombardi kind of slotted him as a as a slot receiver, which Keenan is versatile. Like he can play both. I think people want to put him in the slot, especially since he's pretty slow. Uh, but he can play outside, and sometimes the outside playing outside gives him the better matchup. And yeah, I think it's been interesting that his uh the Chargers have been throwing the ball down the field more a little bit to him. Like right now, his uh, yards per yards per reception is the highest it's been uh, in a while. He's averaging twelve point four yards per reception. That's going that's that's the highest since twenty eighteen. Um, his a dot nine point two, which is the highest since twenty nineteen. So they are like you know throwing the ball down the field a little bit more. And it's interesting because like last year he came off that hamstring injury. He wasn't he didn't look the same. Like he really didn't. Like yeah. he had games like the Dolphins game. He had like twelve catches for ninety nine yards. Like that's it's great like 12 or something like that i don't know the exact stats but like it's great that he had a lot of catches but they were not down the field it's all like you know short that's part of joel lombardi's offense per se yeah. but i think he also struggled against man coverage the numbers kind of back that up where he was more league average in terms of what pff charted as open versus single man this year he's more closer to the top 15. so i think it's just a a combination of getting healthy kellen moore putting him in advantageous situations and also justin herbert being healthy in the offensive line giving keen in time to get open 
Totally. Okay. Let, let's go to the Lions. I think that's yeah, everybody, my favorite. everybody's favorite <laughs> offensive coordinator that we all want to see as a head coach. He didn't take a job, and I guess uh, he's uh, smart because he's going to have his pick of the jobs this year. He, he's probably going to be the number one uh, coveted coach. Um, he, Everybody talked about the Lions need to get another weapon, right? It, it wasn't enough. Jameson Williamson Williams is suspended, and they haven't missed a beat. And then they lost Amon Ross St. Brown for one game against the Panthers and it didn't matter how uh how good is Ben Johnson at creating dynamic offense and where does their success come from yeah I think similar to what Miami and San Francisco do it's it's all about diversity for them it's all about mixing up looks um again I'm gonna first I'll reference the like how often they force broken coverage like they have the fourth lowest rate or fourth highest rate of forcing broken coverage in the league. So obviously Ben Johnson is doing a great job. Receivers are getting open. But I think the, the most impressive thing to me uh, has been their run game diversity. And this is something we hear teams or like analysts like Ben Solak and Ruiz and Tyson Mays, like they'll talk about the, like the lines will run this concept, they'll run this concept. But like those are just like, those are words, right? Like I've always tried to be someone who can quantify what people think. So one of the things I looked at a couple of weeks ago was like a run run scheme diversity or i like to think of it as like uniqueness like how like how predictable is a team's run scheme it's basically like how how concentrated is a team's run scheme around a certain concept or multiple concepts so by my numbers the lions have the third most diverse run scheme they run in outside zone about 31 percent of the time inside zone about eight percent of the time man like 20 percent of the time power eight percent of the time it's just a mix of all these run concepts and they they can run outside the tackles they can run inside the tackles it, it makes it so hard again to game plan for it because it, defenses they have to practice against this like they have to know the niners will pull their guards the niners will pull their tight ends the niners will motion a receiver and then they'll use him as a as a lead blocker like those are there's so many things that ben johnson does via his run scheme that you you know we i've been able to look at try to quantify that makes it so tough to game plan against and then also i think like jared goff is like legitimately playing well like it's it's similar to like he's playing well and he doesn't even have like a great second option like t like josh reynolds it would be a wide receiver three at best on most teams like Sam Laporta is probably their most talented second receiving option. They haven't really integrated Gibbs yet. I think Ben Johnson just puts Goff in, in a lot of advantageous situations and Goff is, is performing and he's doing what he's asked to do. So I think it's just like a perfect storm that everything's coming together and the Lions are also just a tough team to, again to game plan for. Yeah, I think also the advantage they have over the other teams we mentioned is they clearly have the best O-line of the five offenses we've highlighted. And you talk about the run diversity and running over any tackle and any hole. It, it helps when you have like no weak links and you have some high-level players uh, at several different positions on the O-line. Uh, if you're a team that has the first overall pick, let's just say like the Bears, maybe they have their first overall pick from the Panthers. Do you marry Ben Johnson with Caleb Williams? It feels like any team that doesn't do that is stupid, right? Get Caleb Williams, one of the best offensive uh, quarterback prospects in, in a decade. Marry him with Ben Johnson and build yourself a dynasty, right? I, I'm not going to lie. I'm a Drake May guy. Like, I like Drake May. Oh, and wow. Okay, tell me why. Why? Yeah, I – it's – and I, I probably I, I don't I don't even think I'm that big of a contrarian here. I think we have people on both sides of the debate. I think uh, I think Drake may in structure operating within rhythm, which is what most NFL plays are, are run in. 
I think he's a better player than Williams. A lot of the highlights we see with Williams, a lot of the plays are honestly like out of structure plays, which is great. Like I'm not discounting that. You need the out of structure ability to be success, like to be an elite quarterback in the NFL. I think the difference in that kind of out of structure ability between Williams and May is smaller than I think the difference that I've seen in May being able to operate within structure. And I think, and so when you say marry Ben Johnson with with a you know whichever top quarterback, I want the quarterback that can do what Ben Johnson asked him to do. Mm. And and when, you know, when they need to, when they need to, um, in a, like to innovate or to go outside of structure, I think Greg, Drake may can do that. We saw, I, like I watched Drake may throw a pass with his left hand. Like he was Mahomes the other day. I've seen Drake may roll to his left, throw a ball 60 yards down the field. Like I, I think people don't talk about that enough. And, you know, I don't know why maybe Williams is just more exciting when he does it. Just, I, I, I don't know, but I think, I think Drake may's, uh, out of structure ability is at like near the level of Williams. It's not up there. I think Williams is better in that regard, but I yeah. think the way that Jared Goff is very similar to like, he operates within structure very well when he has to create, he's not that good because he's not athletic, but I think may can be an upgrade over what Goff is in that department. And I think may will, I think may will run Ben Johnson's offense in terms of hitting that first street or hitting what Ben Johnson schemes open for him better than Williams. And that's a big projection. Like I I'm, I'm not confident about that take, but that's, that's where I lean right now. If that makes sense. No, I, I like it. You're, you're, even though there, there are people saying it's, you know, it's going to be a debate. Uh, it's widely considered that it's not going to be a debate and it's going to be Caleb and there's going to be a lot of pressure, but I love draft season, right? This, this, this is what happens when we get into the nitty gritty with quarterbacks. I still maintain that, um, you know, Carolina made the wrong choice. I think they should have gone with C.J. Stroud over uh, Bryce Young, who a, a lot like Caleb Williams was the, the, the you know the more undersized guy um, who created with some magic. But uh, physical traits are a big thing at the next level. Okay, you do betting content for Pro Football Focus. Uh, do you enjoy sports betting? And did that passion come early in life, or were you a late bloomer to sports betting? A very very late bloomer, uh, George. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't start until college. I'd never really got into that. Honestly, it was partly because, like, not that my parents discouraged me. Like, they just never did it. Like, we never really talked about it. So I wasn't, I didn't grow up in that environment. But weirdly enough, like my dad was like kind of open to it. Like, I I was able to explain to him like I think betting would help me think about football, think about math and stats and probability differently. And like from there, I started like, oh, I convinced him like, yeah, I'll start building my own models. Like, it'll just help me. Like, even if I'm not winning money or if I'm losing money or whatever, like I'll still become a better thinker. I'll become smarter. And yeah, I got him on board. So only started about like a year and a half ago. I'm still not an expert. I, I don't consider myself an expert. I think I provide good analysis, but uh, in terms of, you know, picks and how the market works and all that, I, I divert to other people. All right. Uh, do you think you get you have an edge just going into the weeds like you do, uh, you know, diving deep into numbers, data science? Do you think that creates an edge in understanding matchups? Because you do a lot of player prop stuff, too, right, with uh, pro football focus. And, and, you know, a lot of that's based on matchups, right, uh, as opposed to maybe, you know, betting uh, teams as a whole and, and reading markets. Uh, do you think that gives you an advantage? A little advantage. I wouldn't say it's that big. Um, there'll be times like I'll make a graph and I'll, I'll see something that stands out. And yeah, like it'll be one of the central theses of my of my player props. I've I think this year I've been trying to kind of uh, attack some of these smaller niche markets. Um, you know, I 
obviously this is the hammer so i'm not going to promote like pff's discord but like there is a discord pff has for the forecast and like one market i've tried to tack this year that i've actually been really prof or i'm up like the roi has been pretty good so far it's like first catch first drive catch so the first drive of the game does a play record a catch and it's a very soft market like they're like last week you could get you could get puka nakua like plus 125 to record a catch in the first drive. You can get Devontae Adams plus 145 to record a catch in the first drive. While the receiving the receptions props are set at like six and a half, seven and a half. And, you know, I was able to uh, wrangle some data, put together like a, a spreadsheet for everyone to see. And you can like, you know, it's not something I would I would model because I wouldn't know. How, I, I honestly don't even know how I'd go about modeling that. But just like looking at the raw numbers, just like looking at how often does a receiver get targeted on the first drive how many games like uh, outside of like uh raw targets like how many actual games have they seen a target in the first drive and so just like looking at those numbers and like seeing which you know what percentages have an edge against the market like those are things that i've tried to get better at just try to attack because i do think like in some of the smaller markets outside of spreads totals and even like larger scale player props there are edges to be had if you can if you can find the data and use it to your advantage it's interesting because you know when a game develops, sometimes it becomes circumstantial uh, and things change. Whereas, you know, everyone has a script uh, entering the game of like, okay, here's our ideal 15 first plays. Here's where we think we have edges versus their weaknesses. And it makes sense um, that on a, on a first drive, uh, a coach can get done what, what his game plan is and where he thinks he has an edge, as opposed to once the game starts, uh, circumstances change and, and you have to go off script. And it, it increases more variance. Um, you're in your last year of school, or is it your second last year? Oh, that's my last year. All right. Uh, I'm hoping for you that maybe Michigan will give you the the greatest final memory of um, of, of of your year if you guys win the national championship. Um, what does Arjun's ideal future journey look like? We've had conversations before. What are your aspirations? What, where, where do you want to be uh, 10 years from now? Yeah, I think ideally I'd, I'd love to be a part of a front office, you know, having that experience, knowing what it's like, knowing what would be expected of me. I believe I am capable of, of accomplishing whatever needs to be done. Um, but I also realize, like if even if I don't make it that far, like I, I just want to be a part of the analytics industry. I think it's a great industry. I've met so many people like I would consider a lot of my closest friends. Now people I've met on Twitter, people I've been able to meet up in person when I can, if I'm traveling somewhere. So just being a part of the industry in any way, I think that's that's something that will matter a lot to me. And if I yeah, if I'm not with a team, I'd love to love to keep betting. <laughs> I think that's also something that makes watching games uh, and analyzing games a lot more fun. So front office, ideally, if not staying on Twitter, have a normal job and go from there. I, I look forward to your journey. Uh, I remember discovering you a couple of years ago and, and uh, I knew right away your age and your understanding of football and your trajectory were going to be off the charts. So whenever I see good things happen for you, I get I, I smile a little bit because I remember uh, I remember the journey. I I I, I got on the Arjun Menon experience uh, early enough. So uh, best of luck this year. Keep putting out your great content. I know I love it. I know others do as well. And I look forward to uh, how this football season develops. Yeah, appreciate having me on, George. I'm sure we'll be in communicate. We'll we'll be talking soon uh, throughout the week and throughout the season. But uh, appreciate having me on. Obviously, love all the content you do and. Uh, uh, keep it up. Thanks, Arjun.
That's it for me. Another edition of 90 Degrees is in the books. I want to thank my guest Arjun Menon, football analyst specializing in analytics, the sponsors of this podcast, Pinnacle and Betstamp, and my producer, Jason Cooper. Thanks for listening. Do me a favor before you go. Like the content, subscribe, share, and comment. And we'll be back next week with another guest on the 90 Degrees podcast where we give an inside look into the sports betting industry. That's it for me. Hope you enjoyed. Until next time.